Our pastor is away this morning preaching at a missions conference. And so I would encourage you that as we are in prayer for the success of God's word in this place, that you would be in prayer for the success of God's word in that place as well. Today's sermon is number five in a series on the Psalms that I am preaching as opportunities arise for me to do so. And I would invite you now to please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 118 and let us give our attention to God's word. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we come before your word today, we understand that it is through your word that you most clearly speak to your people. It is through the power of your spirit that you change us in conformity to your son, Jesus Christ. We come today begging you to do just that. Change our hearts, mold us so that we look more like Jesus and less like ourselves. We ask this in the name of our Savior. Amen. The historical context of the writing of Psalm 118 is a little bit unclear. We're not exactly sure who wrote it, and we're not exactly sure for what specific occasion it was written for. However, we do know the liturgical context, how it was used in the worship of Israel. And this sheds a great deal of light upon the hymn before us. In addition, its literary context is evident in the psalm itself. And this directs us to see the psalm as not only a personal testimony of the psalmist, which perhaps could have been David, but also a song celebrating the love that God has for his people. The subject is stated at the outset and is a grand one the grandest of all, God's forever, all-encompassing, sure love for his people. The scope of God's love, as revealed in the opening verses, is both steadfast and eternal, or we could say unwavering and enduring. The call to thanksgiving for the love of God goes out to the nation, the priests, and even the God-fearing Gentiles, as we see in those opening verses. There was no greater example of the love of God demonstrated to his covenant people than when he rescued them from slavery in Egypt through the obedience of Moses. And yet this old covenant type pales in comparison to its fulfillment in the new covenant, for there we find the love of God was demonstrated to his covenant people, when he rescued us from slavery to sin through the obedience of his son, Jesus the Christ. It is here in the Psalms' gospel emphasis that we find the deep riches of this love sonnet. In its use in worship, the psalm is clearly a processional and was likely sung antiphonally back and forth between uh, the groups that were involved. I've often wanted to do that in this setting with our wonderful balconies. 
uh, would be a great thing to sing antiphonally and hear. Tradition tells us it was sung during the solemn festivals of Israel, uh, and in particular the Feast of Booths and Passover, both of which tell the story of the Exodus with Jehovah as the great deliverer of his people. Psalm 118 is the last in a group of psalms known as the Egyptian Hallel, or Hallelujah, that begin with Psalm 113. We could say that this group of six hymns forms the Hallelujah Chorus of the Psalter, if you will, celebrating the deliverance of God, God's people from Egypt. The Hallel Psalms were also sung by families in the home during the course of the Passover meal every year. It is remarkable to think that on the night in which he was betrayed, the night when he gave his disciples a new commandment, the night which he taught them that he was the fulfillment of the Passover, the night that he partook of these elements set before us today, that night, as he had done every Passover before since childhood, Jesus joined his voice in singing these Hallel Psalms during the meal. More specifically, it is likely that the psalm before us today, number 118, is the last song that Jesus sang with his disciples before he was crucified. You may remember that in the gospel accounts of the upper room, at the conclusion of the Passover meal, we read, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. As the last of the Passover hymns that were sung, we can assume that this refers to the text before us. And so as we work our way through, not only can we make the words of this prayer our own, but we can be assured they were Christ's prayer as well, both as a worshiper in Israel and as the fulfillment of the song itself. Let's continue reading in verse 5. Out of my distress I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling. But the Lord helped me. Here we see some of the marks of God's steadfast, eternal love for his people in the answer to this prayer. Freedom. Security, help, and victory. Every soul among humankind longs for a love that sets us free, that surrounds us with security and safety, a love that provides help in time of trial and difficulty, and a love that triumphs in victory over the hardships of life. God has implanted this desire deep within us. It is part of our genetic code, part of what makes us tick. 
It is, at its most basic level, what you and I were created for, the very longing of our souls. In our most ignoble moments, we try and fill these needs of love in the trinkets of dust of the world, the wood, hay, and stubble that will one day all burn up without a trace of having ever existed. C.S. Lewis, in his sermon, The Weight of Glory, puts it this way, If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Oh, how I understand this to be true of my own experience. And perhaps you can say the same. In our more honorable moments, we seek out this freedom, security, help, and victorious living in the deep abiding relationships of spouses, children, parents, friends, and family. I say this approach is more honorable because fundamentally, it is what the Creator designed us for. Relationship. Love. But will we find complete freedom, security, help, and ultimate victory in our love for another person? You need not to have lived very long to know the answer to that. Of course not. For our relationships of love upon this earth are not the sum total of our experience or our existence. They are but a shadowy picture of the love that we were born for. The most loving relationships that you can imagine are but a fleeting image of the love that God has for his people. For no love on this earth can claim to be unwavering and eternal. Perhaps this will come as bad news to the writers of love poems, hallmark cards, and romantic pop songs. But it is true. Lewis is right. We settle for so little, don't we? And we set our children up to settle for so little, too. By all means, love your neighbor, love your spouse, love your family. Love your children and love the church, but don't expect these to fulfill the void in you that is reserved for the lover of your soul. Only one can satiate this craving, this need, this longing. Only Jesus can fill that hole, for his love is sovereign, unfailing, hopeful, and victorious. So when you are trapped and afraid, desperate and defeated, call out to the one who can answer you. For it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. And it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. God's love is trustworthy. Man's is not. God's love is secure. The princes of this earth will fail you. God's love is eternal. 
man's love will fade away. When Jesus and his disciples had finished their Passover meal, just prior to singing this song and going to the garden, we find in John's gospel account that Jesus prayed, Father, the hour has come. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. The path to Jesus' glory was filled with so much unimaginable anguish that it would lead him to pray soon after that, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. Our Savior, on that Passover night, resonated with the words of this hymn like none before and none after him. Certainly, the prayer of anguish in the garden was simply a continuation of what we find here, what he sang only hours before. God's answer to his son's prayer for his own glorification was through death on a cross and the suffering of eternal hell. Oh, what steadfast love was demonstrated to the Son, even as he demonstrated his love for his people. The words that he had sung with his disciples just hours before, The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Were no doubt on his heart when Pilate questioned him. You will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. And as he stood before his accusers, perhaps he was still humming that couplet. The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. For indeed, a few hours later, he would look in victory over those who crucified him as he completed his work on the cross with the triumph cry over the forces of sin and death. It is finished. The Roman soldiers, servants of the worldwide pagan empire, representing all nations, beat and tortured him, crowning him with thorns and mocking him, Surrounding him on every side like bees, like a fire among thorns. The Christ was pushed hard so that he was falling. But the Lord helped him in his time of need. In Hebrews 5, we read that in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. The unwavering eternal love that God the Father enjoyed with his Son and Spirit through eternity past was now being given to mankind through the unwavering and eternal suffering of the Savior. Greater love has no one than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Let's continue reading now in verse 14. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. 
Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. God's steadfast, eternal love has unimaginable benefits for those who are its objects. The psalmist declares that the benefits of being one of Jehovah's beloved includes salvation, glory, life, and righteousness. For those who are his children, the benefits given to us are salvation, glory, life, and righteousness. In verses 14 through 16 of the psalm, the songwriter here quotes another scriptural song. Following the Exodus, just after Jehovah released the vaulted waters of the Red Sea, destroying Pharaoh's army and completely saving the people of Israel from their bondage and destruction, Moses sang a song of victory. The psalmist lifted the words of that song found in Exodus 15 and inserted them here, reminding the people of their salvation and pointing us to the valiant hero of our salvation who sits at the right hand of God in great glory and power. Through Moses, the people of God were saved from Egypt, and through Jesus Christ, we are saved from sin and death. The exaltation and glory of Israel among the nations of the earth was because of the glory of their God, just as the glory of the church comes from our exalted and triumphant Christ, who ascended to the right hand of the Father on high. Further benefits show the psalmist resting in God's abilities to sustain his life, even through severe discipline and suffering. While the Lord Jesus did, in fact, die for the sins of his people, he was not utterly given over to death, but rather as the firstborn among the dead has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. God not only sustains our temporal life, but through the death and resurrection of his son has provided the way to eternal life. Oh, Christian, glory in this and proclaim with the psalmist, I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. If up until now you have found the allusion to Christ in this psalm a bit hard to see, then hold on. For now, as the glory of this psalm expands before us, our Savior is revealed without any doubt. Let's continue reading in verse 19. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. 
The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. During that final Passover week, following his Palm Sunday entrance and his cleansing of the temple, Jesus taught, his, taught the people in Jerusalem through many parables. We find these in all of the Gospels. At the conclusion of the parable of the tenants, Jesus quoted this psalm and clearly identified himself as the son of the father, the stone that the builders rejected. In the book of Acts, when Peter was taken before the Jewish council for preaching that Christ was the Messiah, he quoted this passage in his defense. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. As the gates of the temple could only be opened for those who had been ceremonially cleansed and declared righteous, we too must be declared righteous to gain entry into the presence of God. The chief cornerstone, rejected by his own, has made this possible. He, the righteous one, became sin so that we could, in turn, put on his righteousness. When his work on earth was complete, and as Jesus ascended, the gates of heaven flung open to welcome the triumphant conqueror home. And we who are his, who have the benefit of his righteousness, will enter there. In the 10th chapter of John's gospel, Jesus declares, Truly, truly I say to you, I am the door, the gate to the sheep. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may Enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. Indeed, this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And now verse 25. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Here at the conclusion of this Passover hymn is another portion quoted in the Gospels during Jesus' final Passover week. The opening words of verse 25, Save us, we pray, are translated in the New Testament Greek as Hosanna, pointing us to the people's shouts of triumph during the processional on Palm Sunday. 
The truth of this connection is striking as the people in Jerusalem took these very words from this beloved psalm to honor Christ as the one who came in the name of the Lord. They ascribed these words reserved for the Messiah to Jesus. They acknowledged him as the one who was to save them. But they didn't understand that salvation from the tyranny of Rome was not what they needed. Their Messiah wasn't there to throw off the shackles of their latest imperial captor. His salvation was far greater than Moses. Moses was not their true deliverer, but was simply a prototype pointing to the coming Messiah. Passover was not their saving sacrifice, but merely a shadow of the sacrifice to come. No, Jesus hadn't come to free them from Rome. He came to throw off the shackles of sin and death, to remedy what had been ruined in the garden, to shine the light of God's unwavering eternal love upon the darkness of mankind's souls. If only they had continued reciting just a bit more of the prophetic scripture of this psalm on that Palm Sunday. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. Perhaps then, they would have realized there was a costly nature of the salvation that they needed. The light that shined into the darkness of the world. The stone which the builders rejected. The valiant warrior from the right hand of the Father. The obedient suffering Savior of the garden. The Lamb of God was to be the festal sacrifice bound with nails upon the horns of the altar of a cross for the object of his love. And so, we sit before another table, even as the disciples did on that final Passover. But we eat no bitter herbs at this table. We do not reflect upon the actions of the angel of death or make a blood sacrifice for our sin. For Jesus came and fulfilled that feast. He turned the Passover table of commemoration into the fellowship table of communion. The table of love. No longer do we await the priest who makes a sacrifice for our sin, for the sacrifice has been made once for all. No longer do we await the Messiah to save his people, for he has already come to seek and to save that which was lost. We do not simply dine at a table of remembrance, but a table of communing, a love feast hosted by the Lord Jesus himself. He is present here and desires to minister to those whom he loves. It is a small but significant foretaste of our consummation. Bride and bridegroom, the church 
and Jesus Christ, celebrating at that grand wedding reception known as the marriage supper of the Lamb in that kingdom that is yet to come. In that upper room, Jesus also said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Oh, remember, child of God, that the scope of God's love is steadfast and eternal, marked by freedom, security, help, and victory in this life. And the benefits for us who are objects of God's love are salvation, glory, life, and righteousness. Come and dine. Let us pray. You are our God, and we will give thanks to you. You are our God, we will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Hallelujah. What a Savior.